Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the EverFit podcast. Today's podcast will cover fitness, more specifically, how exercise can change your fitness. We'll take a little bit of a look into the different energy pathways that are affected by different fitness routines and how to train them. What is fitness? Fitness a lot of times is confused with exercise. And easiest way to explain it is exercise is some activity, stimulus, strain that you apply to your body to cause, to elicit a change in your fitness. So fitness can kind of be thought of as a culmination of nutrition, moderate to vigorous activity, uh, occasionally strenuous activity, and then coupled with recovery. Um, you know, if you don't get the proper recovery, your fitness will suffer. So an enhanced state of fitness comes from a balanced diet, uh, consistent, structured, focused exercise routines, and sufficient rest. So as we dive into what exactly fitness is, we're going to have to do a little bit of diving into physiology. So we're going to have to take a little detour into muscle and exercise, uh, human physiology, uh, the easiest way to put it. So within your body, there are several different energy pathways, and energy is created to provide the necessary fuel to perform work. You can think of the work as the exercise. Um, and it can be as simple as going outside to garden. It can be running a marathon. It can be you know, picking your kids up over your shoulders. All of those movements, those activities require energy. So energy in the form of ATP, adenosine triphosphate, supplies the muscles with the fuel they need to perform movement, to put you into motion, um, whether that motion is basic life or a more strenuous structured routine. So those three pathways, uh, we'll keep it simple and we'll just cover oxidative pathway, glycolytic, fast and slow glycolytic pathways, and then the phosphagen system, so the creatine phosphate system. Uh, when you think about just daily movement walking around through life, you go you know, from one, one room to the next, from your desk to the water cooler, from your kitchen table to the kitchen, you're, you're looking at mostly oxidative energy pathways. As you up the intensity, you start to recruit energy from other pathways. But for the most part, uh, lower intensity intervals, up to about 70 to 75% of your max heart rate. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, that might look like a 5.5 to 6.5, maybe up as high as a 7 in a trained athlete on a uh, scale of 1 to 10. But for the lower intensity, 75% and below, that energy pathway is going to predominantly be fueled by the oxidative system. Uh, we'll cover a little bit more about that shortly. As you increase the intensity, the energy comes from other sources. And so 
as the intensity starts to climb up over 75%, beyond your aerobic threshold is another way to think of it. As you're, as you're getting up towards the end of your aerobic capacity, you start to shift towards anaerobic fuel sources. And those anaerobic fuel sources are now utilizing sugar for fuel rather than aerobic using oxygen to oxidize fat. So as we shift up into a glycolytic pathway, slow and fast glycolytic pathways, you're looking at using more sugar. You're looking at using glycogen to fuel your muscles in that anaerobic state. Now, important to note, at the same time, you're utilizing both aerobic and anaerobic pathways as you're, you can be climbing up into the 75 to 85% range and still be utilizing your oxidative pathway. However, it will be generally at a lower proportion. Uh, so the fuel sources, as you shift to more anaerobic, less, less fuel is going to be provided by the oxidative system and more is going to come from the glycolytic system. If you are performing exercise in short, short bursts, powerful, explosive, explosive efforts or really heavy reps, uh, for instance, weightlifting, more of that energy is going to come from the third energy pathway, the creatine phosphate system. So the phosphagen system supplies ATP quickly. Uh, it very quickly supplies energy needed to move quickly, explosively, uh, heavy, big, strenuous efforts. Uh, you're going down for a one rep max of your deadlift. That is going to predominantly come from your creatine phosphate system. When that system is engaged, it does not have a lot of fuel, but it has a lot of kind of think high octane fuel. It can get there fast. It can get there quickly. It can supply you what you need. Uh, it bursts, but then it's done. And it takes a little bit of time for that to recover. It is your fastest delivery but it is also your slowest recovering pathway. So after you perform your one rep max chest press or three or four reps of deadlift, you've pretty much fatigued out your creatine phosphate system. Now granted, you can get a little bit higher up into the 10 and 15 reps uh, with some exercise, but you're going to start utilizing energy from your fast glycolytic system. And so that kind of goes back into the idea. It doesn't just go oxidative to glycolytic and it can't go backwards, it can go the other way too with the phosphagen system down to glycolytic. As the duration of activity becomes longer, as it increases, you start drawing energy from the other pathways. So you might be wondering, why the heck is he talking about any of this? I don't care about physiology or how the energy gets to my muscles and makes my body move. I just want to work out and be fit. Well, the reason I bring up the different energy pathways and a little bit of muscle physiology is so that you can understand how different types of exercise contribute to substantial or insignificant, depending on how much stimulus apply, how different types of exercise contribute to different changes in your fitness. How long-duration cardio is more likely to raise your aerobic threshold 
and pre predominantly f stress your oxidative system versus heavy strength training is going to help train your fast glycolytic and your phosphagen system. So it's not just go out and run a 5K and everything's going to get stronger. That is, in a, in a way, lots of things will get stronger. Your cardiovascular system will get stronger. Your lower lower anatomy will get stronger. Your legs, your your glutes, your hamstrings can get stronger. The fibers can become more fatigue resistant. But if you're trying to go for the bodybuilding look, if that's your goal, many of you know that long duration cardio is not really going to be in your in your calendar, in your uh, your programming for your for your goals. So as we talk about programming and how fitness should be programmed, the first thing I'd like to do with clients is I sit down with them, I kind of ask them, where are you coming from? What have you accomplished athletically? What would you like to accomplish athletically? And then we take it another step further and we dive into their goals. You know, if a client comes to me with a goal of running a 10K for the first time ever, their programming, their pathway, their fitness modalities look significantly different than a client who comes to me and, you know, possible 16, 17, 18 years old, football player, soccer player, wants to make it to a D1 college. Their, uh, their programming looks significantly different. And so if you're just kind of new to the fitness scene or you're, you're still not sure what you're trying to, trying to accomplish, uh, you know, that's, that's something to sit down and think about. What are your goals? What, would you, what do you envision for yourself in six months, a year, five years? Uh, and, then, and then it's much easier to program yourself to success versus just throwing everything at yourself and, you know, trying all kinds of different stuff without any rhyme or reason and hoping that your fitness will improve, hoping that you'll get to your intended goals. When you have somebody guiding you through a structured program, it becomes a lot easier to, to look back and identify what's working and what is potentially not working. What is causing you to get stronger, to get faster, to get leaner, and what is potentially hindering you? Uh, if you have a coach or a, a friend or a colleague, somebody who's well-versed in physiology, training, nutrition, uh, it makes it a lot easier to be, to be guided. And so in the first episode, I talked a little bit about how my coach uh, was an important part of my fitness journey. While I had a, have a degree in biology, I'm you know, just crazy deep dive on all of the physiology, nutrition, exercise science. I, at that point in my life, I was just buried in it, had access to some of the top sports physiologists in the world. I had weekly, monthly conversations with them and, you know, built, built my knowledge and my, my training on that. But having a coach guide me, put another set of unbiased eyes on my, my training and could look at it and say, hey, you know, you didn't feel good today. You know, looking at your heart rate values, looking at what you've done the last two, three weeks, two, three months even, I, 
I think this is happening with your body. Let's tweak this and let's give yourself a break. Uh, and that was just in the area of endurance athletics. Same thing with strength training. If you have somebody programming for you, uh, or maybe you're, you're perfect at programming yourself, or you know, maybe you've found something that works for you, as you start to plateau, things will need to change. And when you plateau, if you're not making changes, it's really, really difficult to get beyond that plateau. And so a lot of time you'll hear me encourage clients like, let's find you a, a, a program, stick with it for four to eight weeks, and let's see how your body responds. If it responds positively, great. Let's, let's make changes going forward that emulate more of what you've already done. Uh, if your body responds negatively or does not respond at all, okay, at least now we know what the program was and we can make changes to elicit, hopefully, the, the response you're looking for, a positive, a positive response. At this point, hopefully you understand or have a, gr a better understanding of programming and why programming exercise in a specific way would help you get further along in your fitness journey. Um, so I mentioned earlier, you know, just th having everything thrown at you, just no rhyme or reason, uh, doesn't always have the, the greatest outcome, the greatest you know, effect. You want to get... You want to get you know the the bang for your buck. You don't want to just throw everything at yourself and go for quantity over quality. Think quality over quantity, and you want the quality of those of those inputs to be focused towards towards your goal, towards your your desired end outcome. So, what types of exercise? would you want to pursue? So I'll go over a couple of different things. Um, we'll keep it fairly basic. This is a kind of a high-level, you know, surface-level approach. We're not going to go super deep into each, each different area. Uh, but bro breaking down exercise, it kind of goes into, if you really want to get simple, you could really break it down to just strength and conditioning. Strength being the, the weightlifting component, the the body weight component, the the inputs that get you stronger muscularly. The conditioning are the inputs like cardio, running, sprinting, jumping, the inputs that get you conditioned to more fatigue resistance. Uh, you know, you could kind of say, well, they kind of just sound the same. They kind of blend together. And in a way they do, but the stimulus that you apply will be significantly different. And so for a cardio conditioning idea, you're thinking elevated heart rate for a period of, period of time. Sometimes that heart rate is elevated for an extended amount of time, maybe 30 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour, two hours, four hours, depending on the target, the target goal. Um, other times the heart rate is broken down into just short, small intervals. You might go as short as something like Tabata, 20 seconds of hard work followed by 10 seconds of sh short rest. Doesn't sound like much rest at all. It's not. And then right back on, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. 
Um, the intervals might be longer duration. You might have a 10-minute interval on a run, a ride, uh, on the rower, uh, walking, hill climbing, whatever your cardio modality is. Um, yeah, so you have to kind of pick and choose. And each of those, each of those different, each of those different inputs is going to train a different system. Is going to elicit a different response within those energy systems we talked about earlier. So if I'm going to go out on the track and I'm going to sprint 100, 200 meters, I'm going to be stressing my phosphagen system and my flat, my fast glycolytic system almost, almost entirely. Again, oxidative and slow glycolytic will be operating kind of in the background. They're still there. They're always functioning. But those short, super high intensity, 90 to 100% effort, that's going to be phosphagen and fast glycolytic. Yeah, so duration and intensity play a big role in, in what's, being, what's being stressed, which energy system is, is taking over to do most of the work. If I'm looking at training for a marathon and speed work is not really in the calendar, you're now looking at shifting towards long, slow duration, LSD, or uh, long, steady distance is another, another term that, that gets put in there. And so you're working at maybe 40 to 60% of your max, and now you're doing it for an hour, 90 minutes, two hours, two hours plus, uh, to, to train your more oxidative and slow glycolytic system uh, so that you become a little, bit more, a little bit more of an endurance athlete. So you're, you're building up your ability to, to exercise for an extended duration. Will that give you super fast legs and make you uh, make you a sprinter? Almost definitely no. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't train both systems. On most days, you wouldn't want to try to train both systems. Um, there are exceptions to that rule. Uh, but on, let's say, Monday, you go out and you train long, slow distance, long, steady d distance, uh, and then... Tuesday, maybe you have an off day, uh, or maybe you make it an interval day, and you go short, and you start doing maybe quarter-mile efforts, and you do eight 400-meter repeats. And your goal there is to inject some speed into your legs to raise your anaerobic threshold a little bit higher, while Monday was focused more on your aerobic threshold, your lactate threshold. That kind of gives you an idea of how duration and intensity change the energy system, change how you train, change what gets utilized, and train and changes how you adapt to that to that stimulus. Um, so I'd reiterate again, I've talked about it a lot. Identify what you would like to accomplish athletically. Uh, it might be a month out, it might be six months out, it might be a couple years out. Uh, but when you can identify that, then you have a better idea of what you need to program to get to that end goal. Shifting over to strength training, uh, there's a few there's a few areas in strength training, and it's a little bit like conditioning. Uh, if you're looking for explosive power, like short one rep max power lifting, uh, the moves where you move a ton of weight really quickly and then you're done, that's going to stress, you guessed it, your phosphorus system almost entirely. You will use your fast glycolytic system 
um, and you're slow and you're oxidative. But you're looking at generating explosive power for one or two shots, three to six seconds, nothing long, and then it's over. You rest, you recharge, it takes a while for your phosphorus system to repair and re-energize itself, but that is that is focused on power within the realm of strength training. There's also hypertrophy. Maybe your number one goal is to gain size. You want to get bigger. You want to get a bigger chest, bigger back, bigger arms, bigger legs, whatever it is, you're looking at hypertrophy. And so your programming looks like, you know, a little bit more on the rep side, not not one rep, two, three, not just four or five. You're looking in that eight to 10, maybe even as high as eight to 12 rep range uh, to look for muscular growth. And you're taking the final couple reps pretty close to fatigue. You should be, you should be petering out in the last rep or two uh, on each set. Then there's the strength component. And you're thinking, well, strength training, just strength? No, you've got strength. You have power, you have hypertrophy, and you have endurance. So now we're focusing on talking a little bit about the strength component. Now you're thinking less reps, not quite as low as a power-focused power focused program, but not quite as high as a hypertrophy program. So you're looking at a little bit higher, a little bit larger percentage of your one rep max, maybe up in the 85 to 95% range, whereas your hypertrophy was looking like in the 75 to 80% range of your one rep max at a higher rep count. Now strength is higher weight, closer to your one rep max, but less reps than hypertrophy, more reps than just power, and now you're kind of in the middle there. Endurance, you're thinking like, well, how do you build endurance? You can build muscular endurance with conditioning, but you can also build muscular endurance, not, not the same. I, sh- I, should, I should pause there and stop myself. The muscular endurance you get from conditioning is slightly related. It, it, they, it all intertwines, but it is different going and running a 90-minute run, 90-minute interval run, versus doing 15 to 20 reps of strength training moves. And so if I went to the gym and I did quad extension, four sets of 15 reps at 70 to 75% of my one rep max, my legs would would get tired. They'd get sore probably. Uh, I would be adding some muscular endurance because I've, I've upped my, my rep count. I'm, I'm running an elevated rep count at a fairly you know medium medium number of sets. Uh, so 60 reps later, I've built some muscular endurance, which will translate into, hopefully, translate into increased performance on my runs, but that would not be a substitute. So this is where I paused earlier. The 60 reps, the 4 by 15, wouldn't be a substitute for the hour, 90-minute, two-hour conditioning uh, with the running. And so... When I'm training, I'll give you a quick story. When I'm training for a marathon, early in the season, I have usually two strength days a week and then three to four run days a week. And the strength days, I'm not doing really heavy. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not hanging out down in my one to three rep max or in my four to five. I'll do a little bit of hypertrophy if I notice I have some, I have some issues uh, with muscular imbalance or I need to even things out. But predominantly, I'm focused on muscular endurance. So I'm running a higher reps, a couple extra sets if I can, uh, and then blending those in between my running days. 
uh, you know, with the goal of helping, ultimately helping my conditioning workouts with running. Many of you are probably wondering, why hasn't he covered the exercise that I do? Why is he not talking about yoga, bar, Pilates, HIT? Talked a little bit about HIT when we were considering conditioning. Um, those are all those are all perfectly great forms of exercise. I think that they all have a place in an athlete's uh, training regimen, uh, and so we're going to cover those. Um, when you think about something like yoga, um, I usually will tell clients, especially especially ones that run a lot, try to incorporate at least one day a week of yoga, and it may not have to, it may not be a full hour, but twenty thirty minutes. Let your body recover. Um, let your body learn how to balance in ways that it doesn't normally. Uh, you know, you think, well, okay, is yoga just to help recover from running? No. Yoga is a great way to learn body awareness, to build mental stamina, to learn how to read your body, gauge how far you can take yourself, um, activate fibers in ways that you wouldn't normally do in a run or in the gym, uh, lifting weights. Uh, yoga is helpful in so many ways, uh, not just physically. It is, for a lot of people, a mental escape. It is a mental mental training zone. And you'll take a lot of athletes, the best athletes in the world, that go and do yoga, maybe not so great at it, they can't fold themselves in half or bend backwards and, you know, put their forehead on the ground. Uh, but they go in there with the idea of I need to learn something new, adapt, grow, so that it adds to it adds to my on-field performance or my on-the-road performance, whatever your sport is or whatever you're participating in at a high level. Maybe you're not participating in anything at a high level, um, I would, I would challenge that, that idea. Um, you may not think you're challenging yourself in a high level or operating in a high level athletically, and that may, that may be the case, but think about other things that you do in life. Maybe you are running a, a highly successful company. Maybe you are manager of a team of 10 and they are, they are, you know, crushing it in their industry. There's something in your life that you're doing at a high level. Maybe your high level is hanging out on the couch and relaxing. Uh, I'm not. I'm not judging. I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. Uh, but I would. I would encourage you to get up and do some physical activity too, uh, just for your own health and wellness, your own health and well-being. Um, but hey, if you like, if you like hanging out, watching TV. More power to you. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, just get outside and, and get some physical activity in too, so that you're you're able to continue watching TV, hopefully pain free for many years to come. All right. So something like Pilates. I think Pilates. I've I've done maybe twenty twenty five Pilates classes. Uh, in my life. So not a ton of experience, but a little bit. I've dabbled in it. I do really appreciate what it offers. 
um, for my particular needs, it doesn't really fit in there. Um, it's not something I feel like I need on a regular basis. Um, Pilates, I noticed, takes you into a into a stance or a posture, and then you kind of hold it and you pulse, which is great. You're gonna you're gonna pull fibers and recruit fibers and kind of hold them there. Think endurance, muscular endurance. Um, I don't participate in Pilates a whole lot because it doesn't take me through full range of motion like I need to do when I'm doing something like running. Um, you know, I think Pilates is an amazing, absolutely tremendous tool for rehabilitation uh, after hip replacement, total knee, uh, shoulders, any kind of any kind of rehabilitation uh, therapy. I think for a lot of the population, Pilates offers so much, and it can get so many people up and moving again, get them the strength that they need uh, to support. And then I would encourage anybody who's doing rehabilitation uh, or physical therapy to also get involved in exercise that would would take them through full range of motion when they're PT, when they're orthopedic surgeon, when they are cleared to go through that, to jump into that. Um, Because there is an element of Pilates that does leave that out. Uh, You know, at load, Pilates is very good at loading you up, uh, and then it kind of keeps you there. It's incredibly challenging. I will not knock on it at all. It is tough. I always am incredibly stinking sore after Pilates class. Um, But I don't feel like I need it for my sport, which is running. I use it, but I don't use it on a regular, consistent, programmed into my calendar basis. There's a dozen other fitness modalities that we could discuss uh, we could deep dive on rowing, another amazing another amazing way to stay fit. Uh, cycling, indoor cycling, like the, 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 the possibilities are endless. Like the ski erg, the Versa climber, like they're all there. Um, and I would just go back to I would just go back to what I pointed out earlier. Think about your desired goal. Think about what you want to accomplish. Think about what you want to do well, and then if you're unsure, ask a coach, find somebody that you trust, somebody who has some credibility that knows uh, if that modality that you're thinking of pursuing will help you get to your intended goal. Uh, Maybe you just want to do it for fun, and that's totally fine. Uh, You know, in cycling, you, you ride your bike a lot, and you ride it dozens of hours a week you know thousands of miles a year and it's a lot and it gets repetitive uh so to mix it up you jump on your mountain bike and you go rip around on the on the dirt roads or you get a single speed and you ride a single speed through the hills and challenge yourself that way something to mentally mentally give yourself a break from the monotony of whatever it is you're doing um, if you want to get good at something, if you want to get great at something, you're going to have to do that regularly. But that doesn't mean that you have to abandon other things um, and just avoid it altogether. Uh, you can you can mix things in here and there, um, but if you have a goal, I would say don't lose focus of that. 
um, and and make sure that what you're doing isn't derailing you or detracting you from all of the other hard focused work you're putting in. The last thing I'm going to cover in this episode is more of a is more of me trying to look out for each of you. Uh, I'm not saying that you need to go with me as your coach or that you even should go with me as your coach. I think that you should interview, meet with, talk with multiple people if you're considering getting a coach um, and find your best fit. I would warn you of the dangers of falling into the social media trap. Uh, I was reading an article the other day and this gal put it perfectly. Uh, Followers, likes, followers and likes do not equal credibility. There are some people that are amazing at taking cute pictures. Uh, You know, they have built this body and now, well, that's another discussion, a little side note on that. They've built this body, they've garnered all these followers with cute outfits, sexy pictures, uh, and they have a ton of followers and likes. And that all of a sudden gives them credibility. I would challenge that, and I would say, would you, would you go to a physician for a shoulder repair who has a ton of followers and likes on Instagram because he takes cool pictures or talks about cool stuff, but he's only performed a couple, couple shoulder surgeries. Um, might not have been, might not have gone to the best medical school or did the best residency or ortho program, um, but he's got a lot of followers and likes on Instagram. Um, no, you probably would not do that. Uh, so I would say first, very first thing you need to make sure of any coach that you're going to work with, make sure at the bare minimum, they have a certification from an accredited body. Um, If you're unsure, please reach out. I would be happy to point you in the direction of good coaches or things you should look out for. Uh, Yeah, step one, they need to have, they need to be credentialed. Uh, But a a certification, I'll be honest with you, is not that difficult to get. There are some that are far more difficult to get than others. Uh, Years ago, I had a, I had someone come to me they wanted a job and they handed me their certification I had never heard of it before I was not even aware that that was in existence and so I I took the information and I you know talked with them for a few minutes and I'm like, okay and then I went home later that afternoon and I looked this up I'm like what is this and I've never even heard of this this body um, and I'm looking I'm like okay the first 30 seconds on the web page I knew that this was a scam but I wanted to see how far I could go down this rabbit hole. I probably spent way too much time doing it, but I did. Uh, I think I spent 35 or $40, and I took a 100-question test. Uh, I did not read a book or of any kind. Um, granted, I do have a background in biology, my own certification. Uh, this is more of just kind of a little test to see what I can do here. It took me 26 minutes to take the 100 question test. 
I scored an 88 out of 100, and I think it said I needed a 70% to pass. So for $40, 26 minutes, I didn't read a single page of any material that they had. I scored an 88%, and I will say that I think maybe 70% of the questions had absolutely nothing to do with fitness. Um, No credibility whatsoever. I would not ever trust that I would know anything about programming or guiding somebody or keeping somebody safe while lifting uh, after taking this test. And about five days later, I had a certificate in the mail, and I was a quote-unquote fitness instructor. I was a credentialed uh, uh, personal trainer, and that took me under 30 minutes to do from start to finish. That is incredibly dangerous, and I would ask anybody who who you're going to work with and pay money to, uh, and even maybe even not pay money to, I would ask them like, what is your credential? Who is your certifying body? Are you current? I would say current is probably not as important because uh, there's a lot of really good coaches out there that may have you know, lapsed on their, their CEUs. Uh, but generally speaking, somebody who's very passionate about their job and wants to learn and wants to stay act, stay current, uh, they stay current. They, they do the, the CEUs. They do the research. They, they put the time in because they're passionate about it and they're always trying to learn. Uh, yeah, I would say be very very careful about credibility when you're looking in the the fitness space, especially on social media. To wrap things up, we have covered quite a bit of information today. Um, We started off looking at energy pathways and muscle physiology. Um, from there, we moved into different forms of exercise and their impact on your fitness and your, your physiology. Uh, we talked about strength and conditioning and how to apply a program to match your goals and help you achieve a greater, a greater level of fitness. Uh, then we moved into various types of fitness routines in the market. We talked about how, how they can be added into your routine, how they can help you get there. Uh, how they can also cause you to lose focus if they're not uh, not reasonably suited for your for your goals. And lastly, we covered social media credibility and potential traps. And uh, we kind of discussed how to what to watch out for and how to uh, how to find something that will set you up on a path towards a successful fitness journey. So as always, to in this, uh, please reach out if you have any questions, feedback, comments, concerns. I'm always more than happy to listen to them. Uh, any ideas that you would like uh, to throw at me, anything that you want to hear on the podcast, um, you know, anything that you feel like you need, a, you know, better, better explanation of, I'd be happy to uh, share my knowledge. And if I don't have enough knowledge on it, I will gather as much information as I can and make an educated educated determin- determination as to, uh, as to how to answer your questions. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, my name is Trevor. I am the founder of Everfit, and this is the second episode closing out. <laughs>